G'day, my name is Adam Draycott and you're watching the online ministry from St Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. This has been prepared for the first Sunday in Lent, the 26th of February 2023. Our sentence of scripture uh, says this, When you call to me, says the Lord, I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you and honour you. Psalm 91. Beautiful words. Let's spend some time in praise to our good God. Oh my 
Let's pray. Father, help us to understand the meaning of your son's death and resurrection and teach us to reflect it in our lives. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that's a big prayer, isn't it? That God would teach us uh, to reflect the truth, the meaning of uh, our Lord's death and resurrection in our lives. Our sentence, our Bible reading is going to help with that, I think. Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 9. Psalm 67. And our preaching passage, Acts chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 26, right through to verse 40. Let me pray. Father God, as we come to the ministry of your word, we pray that you would feed us and nurture us and show us the glory and wonder that is your son Jesus and lead us in the way of repentance and faith. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. As a teenager, I wasn't terrible at long distance running. And uh, there was one Saturday afternoon uh, at a regional high school athletics event. Uh, and I think I was maybe about 14 years of age. I saw an event that I'd never seen before. Yeah, it had hurdles, but not the kind of hurdles that are going to fold at the faintest touch. No, these hurdles, they're going to break your legs. Uh, they were 90 centimetres high. Uh, the timber crossbeam measured 12.7 centimetres by 12.7 centimetres. That's a big chunk of wood, right? And if you could climb over these ridiculous hurdles, uh, sometimes there was even water on the other side. So not only are you puffed out from all the climbing and the running, your socks are going to get wet as well. Squelch, squelch, squelch. Now, that event, of course, is called the steeplechase. That's right. And how do you think I went? Because, yeah, of course I went in it. How do you reckon I went? Well, let me say, the obstacles were too great. The competition was too strong. And I didn't finish the race. I gave up. Defeated. Dismayed. Bewildered. I mean, there were, there were only three blokes in the race and I still didn't medal. Here's a question for you as we reflect on that story. Does it speak somewhat to our Christian experience? Do you feel like being a Christian is all too hard, too demanding? The obstacles are too great. Well, if that is you, come with me to Acts chapter 8. Uh, Meet Philip. We met Philip when we met Stephen a few weeks back. He's one of the humble seven. Acts chapter 6 verse 3. He puts his hand up for kitchen duty like Stephen did so that the apostles can go and do their thing, right? And like Stephen though, well, Philip's not chained to the sink either. In chapter 8 verse 5, he's off in Samaria preaching to the masses. People are coming to Christ. It's very exciting. And now in verse 26, he's moved on to where? Nowheresville. If you thought Samaria was Nowheresville, well, come to the lonely desert roadside south of Jerusalem. See, Philip leaves the multitudes, the crusades, to meet with the one, 
such is the economy of God. What on earth is God doing? Well, look at verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You've heard of that. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandika, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, Ethiopia here means a land south of Egypt. Think Old Testament land of Cush. Uh, today, think Sudan, Ethiopia, maybe even Uganda. All that territory associated with the Nile as it flows north. Ancient writers would call this uh, the place where it was the ends of the earth. Uh, this bloke is 60 to 90 days away from home, which is a long way, isn't it? What else are we told? Well, he's a trusted, important official. He's the treasurer. He's probably involved in trade. He's got a chariot. He's got a parchment, which means he's got means because parchment parchments cost money. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship. That's interesting. Man, it must have been hard for a Gentile so, so far away to seek after and worship Israel's God, don't you think? But they're not the only obstacles because he's a eunuch, right? Deuteronomy 23 verse 1. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. This bloke is in a constant, permanent state of ritual uncleanness. He's not, he's not entering the temple, which means he can never be a full convert to Judaism. Add to that, it gets worse, add to that social stigma. So Josephus, an ancient writer, says about eunuchs, let those who have made themselves eunuchs be had in detestation. Mm. And do you avoid any conversation with them who have deprived themselves of their manhood? So don't talk to them. Let such be driven away as if they had killed their children. I was talking to you, buddy. Let such be driven away. That's the social stigma. And it's interesting because Luke never tells you this bloke's name. Not once. But six times he's going to tell you that he's a eunuch. He's a eunuch. A eunuch, verse 27, who goes to Jerusalem to worship. And right now we've got to be going, well, how on earth does that go? How does that go? Because now he's going home. No wonder. Where is our Lord? What's he up to? We're in the book of Acts. He's on the throne, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? We'll see how active he is. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the desert road. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. Uh, how does that work? I don't know. Can you, how do you catch up to a chariot that's in the desert? 
And then you've got to keep up with it. And then you've got to have a conversation. I mean, I'm having flashbacks right now. I'm getting triggered by the, the steeplechase. How do you do that? I'm out of breath thinking about it. Hey, what are you reading there? Uh, but there is no obstacle for the Lord. No obstacle. Verse 30b. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asks him. Do you understand what you're reading, mate? Unreal. But of course, understanding Scripture, yet another obstacle with our Lord is no obstacle, of course. Through Philip, it's no problem. And that's verse 35. Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, Isaiah, and told him the good news of Jesus. Go, Philip! Smash it out, buddy. That sounds wonderful. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's the water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Notice he doesn't ask, hey, Philip, can I be baptized? He asks, what can stand in the way? Do you reckon he's had experience with that? Is there any obstacle? A man having lived with a lifetime of hindrances asks, what hinders me? It's kind of sad, isn't it? A man, he's just been to Jerusalem to worship. An unclean Gentile, permanently unclean eunuch. No way is he getting in there. It's not getting past the temples out of court. At best, see, Philip has explained the good news of Jesus from the scriptures, from Isaiah. And now he asks, so what, what hinders me from being baptized? And what is the answer? What do you reckon the answer is? Well, the earliest manuscripts do not give an answer. And maybe the answer should be self-evident. Because the answer's nothing in Christ, is it? We're talking Jesus here. See, what hinders this bloke from identifying with Jesus and his death and resurrection? With Jesus, there is no obstacle. There's no hurdle to jump, no hoops to navigate, nothing to prohibit this bloke from turning to Christ and identifying with him wholly. There's nothing. Isn't that beautiful? The eunuch, deprived of full membership into Judaism, see him here in this scene, fully and wholly adopted into, into this Jesus community. The one in a constant state of ritual uncleanness is truly and spiritually washed and incorporated into God's people, that building that rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. That one. It's incredible. Verse 38. He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. Jesus did that. Nothing gets in the way of his determination to seek and save the lost. Do you see that? 
Nothing gets in the way of his determination to shower this bloke with love and grace and mercy. Do you see that? And do you see that nothing gets in the way of God's determination to love you too? To invite you, to welcome you in the name of Jesus. Do you know what the eunuch knows? He seems to know a lot. Do you know the good news of Jesus? I used to be part of a country camp. Bit, of a, bit like an ad camp, not quite. How, held out near Oberon on a farm, on a property. And one year we got the teenagers up to the shearing shed early in the camp because we needed to prepare the end of camp dinner early. And we gather, you, some of you worked out what this means. We've gathered around a pen here. And the farmer puts the sheep in the, she, in the shearer's hold, if you like, of sorts. And what noise is the sheep making? There's a lamb before, its shearer is silent, but we're not wanting the wool off this guy. Imagine these teenagers from the city, they're looking upon the sheep being held, and the farmer reaches from behind, and he, <laughs> he says, you need a knife! <laughs> and he lifts up the neck, and with one blow, lifts up the chin with one blow, the throat is cut. And the sheep drops dead to the floor. And the shed just seems to be quiet and still. And the farmer is quiet. And the camp leaders are quiet. And the, the teenagers are quiet. And the shed is silent as the blood is poured out. Do you know that Jesus is the lamb that was slain? This is what God did. Psalm, uh, Isaiah, verse 32. This is what Jesus did. He was led like a, a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. These are words written hundreds of years before. The promise of Jesus. In his humiliation, verse 33, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Jesus died. Such is our need. So how do you know God loves you? Look to the cross and see God's love for you there. The innocent dies for the undeserving. Look at the cross where God smashes down the obstacles. Sin, my sin, your sin wiped away. At the cross, the blood of the Lamb wipes our sins away. What about death? The wages of sin is death. And now death is a defeated enemy. What about judgment and wrath? All that was coming to me. Jesus wears it. Jesus dies for me. Jesus dies as me. Humiliating, yeah. Unjust, yeah. But know that he is risen. He is victorious and triumphant and ascended and vindicated. He is all those things. Barriers torn down. The curtain split apart. The way opened up for us and this guy to be welcomed by God through the Saviour. 
That is incredible. Even Samaria in the previous story. Uh, persecution breaks out in Jerusalem, chapter 8, verse 1. But God will not be stopped. It goes out to Samaria in verse 4. Samaritans, traditional enemies of the Jews. They're like the mixed bread embarrassing cousins. Embarrassing distant family members. They turn to Christ and live en masse. Do we see that God has a heart for the lost here? Whether it's the masses or the individual, the Samaritans or one Ethiopian on a desert road. I mean, verse 40, uh, Philip lands in Azotus or Azotos. That's Ashdod. That's the Old Testament Philistine city called Ashdod. That's where, you know, Goliath, he was a Philistine, wasn't he? Those are the guys that ripped off the ark and ran away with it. And Acts chapter 8 tells me that the gospel's for them too. Can we grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ? Are there any limits to his love? Any obstacles? Is there any length? Anything he will not do. Let's dial it up. What about a murderer? What about a mass murderer? What about mm, a mass murderer of Christians? Destroying the church. What about him, Adam? Oh, okay. Where the word destroy is like, uh, think David Attenborough. Think a lion gorging an antelope carcass. But doing that to the church, how's that for an obstacle? Would this missionary God seek and save that person? Are you serious? Well, actually that guy, Saul, began to destroy, to devour the church. And do you know what's coming in chapter 9? And if you know chapter 9, well, tell me again about barriers and obstacles. Tell me again, who is the gospel for? And see again God's determination to love the unlovely, to love the un seemingly unlovable. See, this guy was permanently uncleaned. See him washed. The contemptible, embarrassing, mixed-breed relos. See them welcome now. And reconciled. See the mass murderer in chapter 9. He's going to be forgiven. So it's incredible. So many people feel unworthy of God's love. We put up barriers of fear and guilt and shame. See that there is nothing here that's too great for the Saviour. That no one is beyond his reach. When there are no excuses, the great encouragement is to turn to Christ and live. This is where you might say, okay, Adam, but it's becoming harder to become a Christian or be a Christian. We're being dragged into the public square. We're getting flogged. There are so many obstacles. It seems impossible. It's too hard. I feel defeated. I'm inadequate. We've lost so much of the culture war, so much ground. Society's changed. Yeah, yep, I hear that. But our witness, our witness isn't about 
all that is wrong with society. That's not, that's not our witness. Our witness is to point people to Christ. As his spirit empowered people from Jerusalem, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Life is full of obstacles that pushes us to our knees. Roadblocks pop up, don't they? And it's easy to make a list of barriers and to think it's too hard and to lick our wounds and to make excuses. But you've got to see our Lord is the great missionary here. Our Lord is the great evangelist. That he establishes the path. He sets the course. He provides the resources for the task. The good news is still good news. So verse 39, when they came out, out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch, eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Uh, that verse is a spin out, right? Um, I had a family member once tell me that their friends read this and proceeded to ask God to teleport them to the mission field. I asked Archdeacon Robinson, brother, Tell me about Philip being suddenly taken away. And he said, well, you know, Adam, the Bible contains lots of strange things. I went, yeah, that's, that's the answer. I like that answer. That's wise. I want to say two things about verse 39. One, see that the Lord continues to be active, intentional, in charge, directing, sending. That's what the Lord does. So that's no great surprise. He is the great missionary. Here's the second thing. Go with the eunuch's reaction which is entirely normal. Like, he's not freaking out going, oh, where did Philip go? No, he's not doing that, so we don't need to either. What is he doing, verse 39? He's rejoicing at the good news of salvation. Brothers and sisters, let's do that. Look at all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus and rejoice. This is where the focus is. I read this passage with people during the week. You know I do that. I usually say, hey, what do we do with it? Someone said, this passage with Philip's obedient example encourages me to have more of a go at sharing my faith and to be open and to recognize opportunities and to take them and to trust God as I take them and to pray that to that end. And I'm like, I hear that. Amen, sister. Amen. That is such a good observation. In fact, if you're with me, if you're nodding right now going, yep, that's a good application. Yep, it gives us confidence. Can I say, on Sunday, at lunchtime, Matt is hosting Salt and Light. And its aim is that, just that. So many of us are unsure and afraid about sharing our faith. We put up the obstacles. But as God grows in us a heart for the lost, which is his heart, well, we want to encourage you in this regard so come to lunch come to lunch and share with us let's bring your own lunch by the way there it is here's the last encouragement as i finish it is great that philip reads the bible with the eunuch isn't it beautiful the bible does need to be explained that's normal and i like that and it's best read and understood in community i want you to see that so whatever we're doing now this is a good thing it is normal and it's even necessary but question, who read the Bible with you when you came to faith? Who explained it to you and invested in you and took time with you? I mean, one response is to thank God right now for that person. You could call out their name, 
Park it in your memory so you can give thanks in a moment. It's all part of God's precious provision. And for me, it was my dad. And then later on, a bloke called Al came along and helped put it all together. All the puzzle pieces. And that was life-changing. But here's the next question. That which is life-changing for you, someone invested in you, are you willing to do that for someone else? I mean, who is it in your life that you could commit to reading the Bible with one-to-one? Because you know the gospel is for everyone and you know that the gospel is the good news they desperately need. God's heart is for the lost. So who will you commit to praying for with a view to reading the Bible with them this week or for this year? I mean, Acts chapter 8, it keeps stripping us of excuses. I mean, under God, what on earth are they? Can I encourage you, entrust yourself to God. He's the great missionary. It's his work. Entrust yourself to him, pray, and have a crack. And may we bear much fruit for his kingdom as we do. Amen.
We come to a time of prayer. Don't not pray. Uh, there will be a blue screen posted in a moment. Uh, you can see the prayer points there. Um, please be praying for Andy and Margie, our mission partners in the North Kagezi Diocese. Uh, we had a great time with them. Their prayer points include things like accreditation for the college. Pray to that end that the blessings that will come out of that. Uh, uh, a faithful and godly appointment of a principal for, the, for that college. Pray to that end. Pray for the new bishop that he would be a shepherd of God's people, not a wolf. Please pray to that end for him. There's three things, really easy. And just pray for Andy and Margie for their general well-being and uh, energy and patience and more patience. That absolute joy to have them with us this week as our missionaries in residence. So we can give thanks for that as well. Who was the person that read the scriptures with you? Spend some time reflecting on that. Give thanks to God for them. Who's the person that came to mind when I said, who could you read the scriptures with? Did you think of anyone? You could pray to that in as well. Uh, of course, there are other things going on in our world. The disaster in Turkey, uh, the war in Ukraine, and other world needs. Uh, give it all to the Lord. Bring it before his throne of grace, being confident that he hears our prayers.
Let me close with the words of blessing from Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.